Welcome to Natural England's first Landscapes, Heritage and Geodiversity podcast for everyone. More than a view. For Natural England, landscape is a key idea that sums up not just what the natural environment is all about, but also what we want to achieve. Places that people identify with. Places that are rich in biodiversity and geodiversity. Places that produce food and timber. And places that are adaptive to climate change. Landscape is much more than the view. It's the way our rocks and soils and the forces that made them combine in hills, valleys, plains and coastline. It's our wildlife habitats. It's our countryside, towns and villages, adapted to current needs, but often revealing how people lived in the past. It's the places where we all live and work, the places we identify with as home. Landscapes are productive and change all the time, in subtle or dramatic ways. This can be in response to changes at a global scale, such as climate, or at a more local scale, because we change the way we use and develop the land. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Landscape Podcast. I am Susan Fryer, a Landscape Senior Advisor in the Cumbria Area Team. Our brand new podcast series seeks to provide you with interesting facts and stories about the landscape, fascinating conversations with our landscape colleagues and other colleagues within our teams within Natural England, as well as interviews with external guests. We hope that through the series of landscape podcasts, we can engage, support and offer some top tips on how to incorporate landscape into your projects. Over the coming months, we plan to cover topics such as how a landscape approach can contribute to nature recovery and mitigate the impacts of climate change. What gives a landscape its distinctive sense of place? How important tranquility and dark skies are to our enjoyment of landscapes and Natural England's ambitious landscape programme. Please do comment in the chat if you would like the sound of any of these topics specifically or would like to suggest others. The focus of today's podcast is urban rivers. We will be talking about how these rivers are key features in the landscape and how important these rivers are for people and wildlife. We will be looking at the technique of daylighting and how this can bring life back to the river and its surrounding urban environment. So, to take the story forward, I will hand over to my colleagues, Anna Oliveri, Senior Landscape Advisor in the West Anglia Area Team, and Kate Fallon, Senior Landscape Specialist, to tell us more. Thanks for that introduction. And as you say, in today's podcast, we're going to be looking at the rise, fall and regeneration of urban river landscapes. In many ways, this is a slightly unconventional topic to begin the landscape podcast with. A sort of a wild card, perhaps, in terms of what people might be expecting from a podcast about landscape. And perhaps not an obvious place to start. We don't tend to think of towns and cities when we hear the word landscape. And it's not an association we readily make. 
we tend to think of open countryside, fields, rolling hills and forests. But actually, 80% of England's population now live in urban areas, so urban landscapes are now the most frequently encountered and familiar landscapes for the majority of the population in their daily lives. Only 20% of our population now live in rural locations. And this is a trend that's echoed globally. We're moving towards becoming an urban species on, on a global scale. Currently, 55% of the world's population live in urban areas. And by 2050, it's estimated that 80% of the world population will live in towns and cities. So predominantly, as a nation, we live, work, play, commute and spend our leisure time in urban landscapes. In the evenings or at weekends, we might walk the dog, go for a run or just enjoy a bit of sunshine and fresh air in a nearby urban park or other green surroundings near to where we live. If we can access it, we might escape into the open countryside. So there's never been a better time to discuss urban landscapes. They're more relevant than ever, and the work that we do in collaboration with our partners can improve these urban landscapes and the lives of the populations that live in them. Many of our towns and cities were founded upon rivers, and in the industrial era, rivers fueled the growth and expansion of our towns and cities. So we're going to look at the contribution that urban river landscapes make to our towns and cities in modern times and explore some approaches being taken to river landscapes to create a strong sense of place with people and nature at their heart. Today we'll be focusing on two places in particular, Luton in the south and Manchester in the north. Here to talk to us today is Natural England's Senior Landscape Specialist, Kate Fallon, who's going to tell us a bit more about the river landscape in Manchester. Thanks, Anna. What a great intro and a fascinating subject all around our urban landscapes and the rivers that run through them. As you might already know, Manchester is well known for its rainy weather. But what you probably don't know is that there are four main rivers in Manchester, the Irk, the Medlock, the Irwell and the River Mersey. And all of these four rivers are fed, often well fed, often overfed by this infamous Manchester rain. So today I'd like to take a closer look at one of these rivers, the River Medlock. And the reason for this is that this river has seen some tremendous changes in recent years. Having been pushed underground for decades and shunned, it really feels like the city has turned its back on this river over the past century uh, because it was culverted. But now it has had a resurrection. And with a large 350 metre part of it that runs through the city centre opened up again. You know, a proper example of a fall and rise of an urban river. The river was daylighted as part of a new city park project, Mayfield Park, which is just a stone's throw from Piccadilly Station, one of the main stations. And it lies at the centre of this new six-acre park. A new blue watery sapphire snaking its way through this new emerald blanket of green space in the centre of the city. And of course, daylighting brings so many other benefits not just for people and nature, but also creating a beautiful focal point in the park. And with the added benefits of providing a nature-based solution to some of the city's flooding issues, slowing the flow and allowing some of the surrounding areas to flood during periods of peak rainfall. 
and it helps to reduce temperatures in the summer months with the cooling effects of water helping bring down those temperatures and reduce heat island effects during heat waves. So yes, it's a really exciting project and a real bonus for the city of Manchester. So Anna, today we're going to have a bit of a focus on Luton and some of the work that they've done on the river in Luton. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yes, yeah, so Luton, like many other places, can trace its origins back to settlements on the banks of the River Lee from the early 6th century, I believe. Um, and the River Lee arises in Luton and the town is actually named after it. So the word Luton is a corruption of Lee town. Lee meaning bright in Anglo-Saxon. And so Luton was the town of the Bright River. Uh, and Bright is probably a reference to the clarity of the water because the River Lee is a chalk stream river, uh, which are known for their crystal clear waters. So the river was actually once the main asset and landscape feature of the settlement um, that created a sense of place to the extent that Luton was actually named after it. But walking around Luton today, um, you wouldn't necessarily know that uh, because much of the river in the town centre has been culverted, um, buried underground in pipes, so it's not actually visible on the surface. Um, and the history of that goes back to the mid-1800s, uh, where there was an awful cholera outbreak within the town of Luton. And uh, the river was identified um, as the source of the outbreak. And so... In 1848, the Luton uh, Water Company was founded and it was decided that um, much needed to be done to kind of improve the sanitisation within Luton. And uh, the end result being that the, the River Lee was buried uh, in culverts underground. Um, but now, um, Luton have got plans to daylight the river and have just daylighted a short section of the river in the town centre and also have plans to uh, create an, an urban park, a linear park, along the banks of the River Lee. I just want to pause you there because I think there are some really interesting and sort of ironic parallels to draw from with the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes, absolutely. Yes, it is ironic um, because the River Lee was culverted for the sake of public health, you know, to try and prevent another cholera outbreak. But fast forwarding 170 years or so um, to the latest disease outbreak, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, one of the big lessons learned from that was that lockdown really shone a light on the importance of urban populations having doorstep access to green space. And in fact, the vital role that that green and blue infrastructure plays in supporting our health and well-being. Um, so yeah, between epidemics and pandemics, it does feel like we've come full circle in how we perceive our natural environment in terms of our health that instead of seeing the natural environment as a potential source of threats to our health in a pre-antibiotic era and designing our towns and cities um, to tackle that threat or to address that threat, um, to coming to understand its vital importance as a resource to supporting humans' physical and mental health. And so to expand on that a little, in considering what the future is for our urban river landscapes, I've seen more of this move towards deculverting of rivers and an increased focus on how we might use our urban river landscapes 
to link and extend habitats through our river corridors, to encourage nature into our cities from the open countryside, but also to provide doorstep access to nature and green space for town and city dwellers. To find out more about how we can make the most of our urban landscapes, and particularly river corridors, to provide valuable habitats for wildlife, I interviewed ecologist Liz Anderson, who is West Anglia's area team's local nature recovery strategy senior for Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire. So welcome to the podcast, Liz, and thanks for joining us to talk about the River Lee. Uh, the River Lee isn't just any old river, is it? Um, it's actually an internationally rare type of river, a chalk stream river. Can you tell us a bit more about that, please, Liz? Yes. Hi, Anna. So the river is about 50 miles in length and it rises from the chalk hills of the Chilterns north of Luton. There are about 260 chalk streams in the world. They are our Amazon and with 85% of them flowing through southern England, it makes us a really special place in the world. Rich in minerals and oxygen, their pure, clear, constant flow from underground chalk aquifers and springs brings them out flowing across flinty gravel beds, making them perfect sources of clean water and ideal for lots of wild creatures to breed and thrive. The latest David Attenborough series, Wild Isles, even talks about them. Wow, so they're pretty rare then. And in fact, chalk streams are actually a recognised special quality of the Chilterns area of outstanding natural beauty, which wraps around Luton both to the north and the south. So what makes chalk streams so special then, Liz? Yeah, so they're home to um, some iconic British species like kingfisher, otter and watervole. So to get these species, presumably the water quality has to be quite good with not too much sediment and high levels of dissolved oxygen in the water. The higher the oxygen, the better it is for aquatic species like fish, but also invertebrates. These in turn are food for kingfishers and otter. Macrophytes, aquatic plants like water crowfoot and water starwort are good indicators of chalk streams and chalk is also good for watercress beds. Unfortunately, though, our chalk streams are suffering from low flows and pollution in some areas, which mean that these species previously abundant are declining. Thanks for that, Liz. That's really interesting to hear about. So what's the significance then of the River Lee as a habitat within the urban context of Luton? The River Lee rises from springs in Lee Grave, which would have once been a marsh, and the area Marsh Farm is a nod to this. Cowslip Meadow a recently designated triple SI, is another example of lowland meadow where the influence of the river has created areas of wet grassland and swamp habitats and you can see species like yellow iris and different sedges. So urban rivers can create opportunities for the creation or the restoration of wetter kind of marshier habitats within the urban context. But what other ways can river corridors support wildlife in our towns and cities, Liz? Rivers act as corridors, bringing opportunities for food and refuge, connecting other natural habitats in an urban context. I see. And what about urban landscapes generally? How important are they for nature and how do they contribute to the nature recovery network? Yes, yeah, so the value of connecting with nature has never been more apparent than during the pandemic when people were stuck at home. 
they took to their gardens or their hour outdoors as a peaceful way to reconnect with the natural world that's all around us. Simple things like listening to birdsong or watching a bee visit flowers in the garden, rebooting and taking us back to basics. As our urban areas grow, they will reach into these natural spaces and it's important to make sure there's still space for nature in our urban parks and gardens. Connectivity is key though. You can have a wonderfully rich garden full of nectar or berries for insects and birds, but with no way for them to get there. It's a virtual oasis. Creating hedgehog highways or retaining lines of trees and hedges along our streets allow wildlife a chance to navigate through built up hard spaces. Going back to the Lee though, water is very important. Providing a source of fresh water for wildlife is literally a lifesaver, particularly during summers as hot as 2022. Thanks Liz, that was really interesting. So as an ecologist um, and senior advisor for Bedfordshire and Hertfordshire for the um, local nature recovery strategy, can you describe what your vision is for a thriving Luton and River Lee? What might it look like, sound like, and what do the ecological and water quality surveys show and how does that involve people? Yeah, so as I said at the start, um, the Lee, as many of our chalk streams, is suffering from low flows and poor water quality. For the Lee around Luton and many urban areas, the threat of pollution from surface water runoff is an issue. Luton Borough Council have already made a great start on the journey by daylighting the Lee opening up the channel again from its culverted past and greening areas of the town. I'd like to see more of this, but essentially community-led projects where streets or districts get behind greening initiatives, even down to flowery window boxes. Creating pollinator highways around the town, more orchards and opportunities for community growing projects are great. Encouraging people to care about their surroundings with less littering, treating the environment with respect, the sounds that I'd like to hear along the riverbanks and in other green urban spaces are birdsong, but also laughter from children playing outdoors, taking in the richness that nature has to offer. Thanks, Liz. That sounds like a really great vision for the future of our urban rivers and riverside spaces and gives our listeners some food for thought to think about when it comes to urban rivers and their priority places. So thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really great speaking to you on the Landscape Podcast. Thanks, Anna. What a fascinating conversation, Anna, between yourself and Liz. It's so interesting to hear more about the ecology side of it and also about all that rich biodiversity. And I love that reference to these chalk streams and rivers being our Amazons. So moving it back to Luton and back to the River Lee, can you tell me a bit more about what happened around the river project? Because I gather there was lots of community engagement and also that Smartis got involved. So can you tell me a bit more about that? There's loads going on in Luton to put the river on the map physically, but also um, to bring it to the attention of local people. Uh, so the local community have had the opportunity to get involved in all sorts of placemaking activities um, and initiatives to make the river an icon of the town, um, to try and strengthen Luton's place identity. There's a sort of a recognition that the river can be culturally relevant and of value to everybody. Um, so there's so much going on that I can't mention everything, but 
just to speak about a few things to give you an idea of the sort of thing going on. They've had community initiatives to clean up the river and school children learning about the river as part of the curriculum and using it as a resource um, to support uh, parts of the curriculum, for example, for pond dipping and to produce artwork. Uh, Luton have got an artist in residence called Abby Spendlove, who describes the Lee as a hidden river, uh, which she aims to bring to the consciousness of Luton's residents. So she makes artwork using ice and water from the River Lee to try and capture the river's flowing forms. And she's also made quite a powerful film tracking the river right through the town centre. You sort of see her disappearing uh, into dark culvert tunnels where she's sort of walking underground uh, where the river's culverted. Um, and she's incorporated the voices of local people over that film footage, telling their stories, perceptions and memories of the Lee um, within that film. She's also uh, run some art workshops for us at the uh, Luton Libraries Project, which is Natural England initiative to help connect people to nature and green spaces in Luton. Um, and there's also been a separate artwork, um, which hasn't been done by Abby, that's by a different artist called the R River Public Artwork, which is a mosaic of photos of Luton residents um, taken during the pandemic and arranged into a sort of a montage to depict the River Lee uh, to commemorate the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's just been displayed uh, for everybody to see from Hat Gardens, which is the new pocket park I was talking about earlier, uh, where the Lee has been daylighted. So that's really interesting about the artistic work, but tell me a bit more about Luton's plans and visions for the future. So Luton have just started their local plan review process and have put forward a vision for a much greener, cleaner and more natureful town focused around a regenerated river. They've got ambitions to daylight further sections of the Lee so that the already daylighted section at Hat Gardens becomes part of a series of green and leafy riverside spaces within the town centre. And in suburban areas where the river's not culverted, they've already been working with the Environment Agency to improve the river's flow, water quality and also to extend the riverbank habitats. And so to tie together the urban and suburban river works and to increase the benefits of the river both for people and for wildlife, there's an ambition for a seven kilometre long linear park along the banks of the river from its source in Leegrave Park right the way through the town centre and out to the Luton Hoo historic estate to the south of Luton. So I think that really shows the scale of ambition in Luton and the centrality of the river to creating this new greener identity and sense of place for Luton, which centres on the River Lee. And in the West Anglia area team, we're working with the council to help them look at how they can integrate the new green infrastructure framework into their local plan policies and how the various tools and guidance can be applied to improve both existing green spaces and to create new ones to help achieve their green and natureful vision for the town with the river at its heart. That's really interesting, Anna, that you've just referenced your local area team and the green infrastructure framework and working with other partners, because I was just going to suggest to listeners to go and have a chat with their local landscape advisors. You'll find them in your area teams or have a look on the Landscape SharePoint site. 
and go and have a chat with them about your work and see how a shared landscape approach can help deliver our work. You've also met two of them in this podcast, Anna and Susan. Um, They're all part of the local landscape delivery network and they're based in your area teams. So yeah, go and have a chat with them. And also have a look at the Green Infrastructure Framework, which is a planning guidance document aimed at planners and developers to help incorporate green and blue infrastructure into our developments. Also, have a look at the GI mapping tool, which has a wealth of mapped green infrastructure information. And for those of you who might want to do a bit more background research about your local landscape, have a look at the local landscape character assessment for your area and or the national character area documents for a deeper dive into your local landscape. But now to finish off this first of our landscape podcasts, a journey down our urban rivers, back to one of our senior landscape advisors, Susan Fryer, who's going to round off this first podcast. Thanks and over to you, Susan. To summarise then, many rivers were covered over as we started to industrialise our cities and towns in the past, partly to contain the smell from sewage and industrial waste, and partly by building culverts over rivers to create more available land for building developments. Today, we have touched upon the practice of daylighting, which is the action of returning a hidden culverted river into open water. In simple terms, this involves the practice of taking the lid off the culvert. Engineering structures like culverts from the Victorian era do not last forever. They were built at a time when cities and towns were smaller. There would have been less paving and more permeable services for flood water runoff. We also know that flood runoff is far greater today and an open river will have a higher flood capacity than a culvert. Daylighting gives cities and towns the opportunity to reveal those hidden rivers, create much needed habitats and provide areas for people to enjoy and connect with nature. They create a wonderful sense of place and resurrect themselves as a beating heart in any city or town. Just take a moment to think about the potential of urban river corridors in your priority places and the elements that they can provide. Improved and extended waterside habitats the provision of beautiful amenity spaces that connect people to nature and the emphasis on green transport corridors which make our towns and cities more enjoyable to walk and cycle around in and in turn they create healthier places to live and work in. So that concludes the first Landscape podcast. We hope you enjoyed the topic and that you'll find some of the top tips useful. We look forward to presenting our next podcast in a few months' time. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.